Welcome to the Creative Giant Show, where we go behind the scenes about what it means to live a life full of creative and professional success. Creative giants are talented, renaissance souls with a compassion-fueled bias towards action. Now, here is your host, Charlie Gilkey. Hello, Creative Giants. I'm excited to have my good friend, teacher, brother, yeah, that's all one word, Mark Silver from Heart and Business on the Creative Giant Show today. Uh, Mark is quite special to me, um, both because of who he is and what his message is about. His message, simply put, you can make a healthy profit and a real difference. We're going to talk a little bit more about that as we go along. One of the reasons, though, that I value Mark's perspective is because he infuses spirituality with his business teaching and personal development. He's a designated master teacher in his Sufi lineage, and he is currently studying for his Master's of Divinity with a specialty in ministry and Sufi studies. So, as you can see, he's one of those creative giants, too. He's got a lot of different interests, and he's integrating them quite well. Um, As a coach, consultant, mentor, and spiritual healer, he has facilitated more than 2,000 individual sessions with entrepreneurs and has led hundreds of classes, seminars, groups, and retreats. His weekly writings and teachings are followed by thousands of people around the globe. I'm one of those people that follow it. He lives in Portland, Oregon with his wife, Holly, two sons, Sam and David, two cats, Rafi and Kira, and all the rain you care to soak up. I also live in Portland, and we're approaching that time of the year. <laughs> so, Mark, thanks so much for the work you do and for showing up for us on the show today. I'm so delighted, Charlie. It's just uh, just wonderful to get to spend time with you. So, thank you. Cool, cool. Um, Let's, let's start it off this way. So I know a lot about you. We've been hanging out since, what, 2009 or so, um, but people don't know you, so let's start it. So you're a fourth-generation entrepreneur who has run a distribution business, you've turned around a struggling nonprofit magazine, and you've worked as a paramedic in San Francisco Bay, in the San Francisco Bay Area. That's all great. How did you end up in Heart of Business? Um, <laughs> you, so... Um... Oh, how did I end up here? <laughs> no, I just Dorothy. How, how do I get home? Um, so, basically, uh, what happened was is that I started. I became the world's worst uh, graphic designer. <laughs> <laughs> I coming out of coming out of working on a magazine and having some Quark uh, Express skills. Yes, it goes back that far. Um, uh, I um, uh, ended up. Uh, helping out a lot of friends who were in holistic businesses, practitioners and gardeners and uh, people like that, just create trifold brochures, right? It was the late 90s. It was before the internet. It really exploded and <laughs> business cards and things like that. And in the course of that, I I was helping them kind of think about their business and their business was getting better. Um, and I, you know, they were getting more clients and charging more and anyway it was just um surprising um i knew more about business than i thought i did at that point and um i uh, at the same time my wife uh was on a real healing journey she had dealt with chronic illness for like 10 years and and so her needing to find healing and my need to be able to deal with kind of the emotional issues that were coming up in our in my clients um coincided with her finding uh, Sufi healing and Sufism. And so we both ended up going to the Sufi healing school, uh, which has since become the University of Spirituality and um, uh, Spiritual Healing and Sufism, excuse me, the University of Spiritual Healing and Sufism. I should know the proper name having been on the board at one point and been <laughs> a faculty member. <laughs> and uh, and um, that 
led directly to in my second year kind of uh, coming out into heart of business because I started to see I, I just started to see the integration. I started to see these weird esoteric Sufi teachings. I say weird just because, you know, they're very kind of geeky, kind of esoteric healings and uh, uh, teachings. And then I saw them and how they overlaid certain types of business practices like marketing and sales and different types of things. And and it just that that insight is what is what Heart of Business was born from. And when I started, when I <laughs> not so reluctantly let go of my attempts at graphic design and just went <laughs> straight into helping people um, uh, make their businesses work, uh, it started to really work extraordinarily well. And that's evolved into this place of really understanding and knowing that every act of business can be an act of love. And that... Um, that spirituality in business doesn't have to be a case of going and sitting on the cushion and filling up and then going and running empty while working on your business. But instead, you can find the nourishment and the love right there in the business practices, which to me is a part of the healing that our culture is needing. While we're on that, tell us a little bit more about Heart of Business and who specifically you serve, just to give some context to um, for people who are listening that, that really dig what you're saying. Yeah. So we work uh, exclusively with micro-businesses. Uh, and by micro-businesses, I mean people that are self-employed or partners or clinics or small, small be below small businesses. So there's just a handful of people or fewer. And, um, and they tend to typically be service-oriented businesses because that's the kind of businesses that size of business gets into. You start creating product and you start having a larger team often. Um, but we do have some people who are into products. And then um, the business in particular was started usually because the person had some dream of making the world a better place. Uh, and they may or may not have consciously chosen to go into business. Some people wanted to be in business for themselves and some found themselves there because there's no job description mm -hmm. that allows them to do what they really are here to do. Yeah, so that's one of the things, Like, and I think you and I have had conversations about this. On, on the one hand, it's easy for people who work with micro-businesses and small business like us to really have a pro sort of – people think we have a pro-entrepreneurship perspective. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of the people, a lot of the creative giants that I end up working with, there's like what you said, there's no job description out there for them, and there's no container for, when they can sh for how they can show up and be their best selves in the world and make the difference. And that is at least one of the benefits of entrepreneurship, especially with technology and the state of the business landscape right now, is that you don't have to get a job and you don't have to start business as usual. You can carve out these ways in which you can make a healthy living, but also continue to make a difference as well. And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, we share a lot of that. Um, and so, um, but let's talk about something because, as I said, your core message, um, well, it seems you have two core messages, so I'm going to throw them both out. Every, every act of business can be an act of love as well. Um, but the other is that um, you can make a healthy profit and a real difference. I've seen that sort of pop up a lot. I call it the virtue versus money myth. Um, and you see like you can be an artist or you can be rich, but you can't be both. So there are all sorts of ways we, we counterpose virtue and money. Um, and, and this is just one of those types of things. But why do you think for your people or in general that that virtue versus money myth is such a powerful and pervasive myth? Because I don't think it's entirely a myth. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that uh, w- one of the things that I like to reassure people around is that, you know, I, I was just saying this to a room full of people the other day, um, was that if you have struggles around money or around certain aspects of business, you don't need to just get over it, right? It's like your heart is sensing something true. The, our, our culture, our economy, our marketplace is dysfunctional. It's deeply dysfunctional. And by and large, the vast amount of money and wealth in this world has gone to people uh, and to organizations who are not necessarily out to make the world a better place, but are really focused on taking. And, um, and sometimes there are compromises you know there are uh, there are lots of manipulative things you can do in business to get more money mm-hmm. uh, that uh, are at tension with integrity or wanting to make a difference uh, you can be successful and you can make money uh, at the same time you can make a profit and so I think that there's a I think that there's something true there I don't think it's entirely a hundred percent a myth at the same time um, uh, what we need to do is instead of when something's uncomfortable, when something like business or the marketplace is uncomfortable, our tendency is to turn away from it completely. And what I want to encourage all of us to do, myself included, is to face the uncomfortable pieces and ask the question, is love available even here? Can we discern something beautiful here? Can we let go of what's not working? Can we let go of the pieces that lack integrity and find the places that are shiny? And, um, and when people have the space to not feel crazy because their hearts are rebelling against the curtain marketplace and it's not just something they need to get over, uh, but it's something that they can acknowledge as true, then it becomes easier to trust their heart in discerning what does feel right in business and what doesn't feel right as they walk the path with it. Um, and, uh, and it's vitally, vitally important. I, you know, you ask the question, why does this resonate so strongly? It resonates so strongly because the healers, the people doing transformational work, the people that are just trying to bring heart-centered practices to businesses, sometimes as, pedestri- as what seemingly pedestrian is, and as necessary as accounting or bookkeeping or architecture, which aren't pedestrian at all, but can sound that way. But when they, when you want to um, make that difference, it's vitally important that those businesses be successful in this in this marketplace um, as a way of starting to be a part of the healing, a part of the shift that 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 is happening and needs to happen at a much uh, greater rate. Yeah. So this dovetails to a conversation that Angela and I were having a couple of weeks ago about the challenge between creating a creating a healthy sort of flourishing business and lifestyle in a system that's got some chronic dysfunctions into it, right? So one of the things we were talking about, not necessarily from the ethical point of view, but just from the technological point of view, the ways in which um, technology now intrudes on our life and can, if we're not watching it, erode relationships rather than enhance relationships. Um, And then there's the general, again, not so much the ethical thing, but the fact of the matter is, is that we live in a marketplace that does a very, very good job of generating wants and needs um, and then fulfilling those wants and needs and then generating them again. And if you're not careful, it's easy to be a part of that system without recognizing it. So, you know, the larger question was how do we create something healthy and, and flourishing inside the system because 
the days of Walden Pond are kind of over, right, where you can just <laughs> go off the grid. So I'm curious along those lines, how do you help um, your practitioners really carve out, or, I mean, I know that's a broad question, but give some general ideas about how people can, can find that positive <laughs> function in a world that sometimes seems out of alignment with, with how we want it to be. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, that's an excellent question. And I think that the, I think one of the things that has to be faced here is letting go of perfectionism. One of the things, you know, I, my politics are on the progressive end, the very far left progressive end. And, uh, my, um, and what I've observed a lot, uh, in progressive politics is the, um, is the tendency to eat our own. <laughs> and so instead of kind of, instead of celebrating the successes that we can have, uh, it's like, oh, that's not exactly perfect. So let's tear it all down. I've noticed this so many times that the people who come to us uh, have, uh, and we have people on different ends of the political spectrum. I just was using that as an example, but I just want to say that people who um, come to us can often have this real perfectionism, like, oh, it's not quite perfect, or, oh, I need to tweak it, so I need to start, I'm starting from scratch. It's like, no, a tweak is not starting from scratch, like a shift is not, like it's, and so, um, we're, we're not perfect, we're human, we're human, we're not perfect. Perfection is a quality of the divine, and we human beings can sometimes taste it, but we can't live there, right? We live as human beings. And so, for me, part of what healing is about is about finding the love that's there uh, in the effectiveness. So, for example, uh, what you just mentioned, the wants and needs, one of the things that uh, the one of the major manipulative insights of advertising and marketing in the 20th century was that um, if you can name somebody's problems, you can put them into a re-traumatized state and from which the only way out that they are shown is to purchase your product or service. And that is deeply, deeply manipulative. It, um, it doesn't fulfill any wants or needs, and it does highlight that, that core spiritual neediness. However, um, instead of abandoning, this is that piece of like wanting to kind of lean into the dysfunction and find the love there, you can, you can name problems that people are struggling with from a manipulative place. Hey, you know, you're not making enough money or you don't have the love you want or, you know, your life is crap and this is the only way out. And <laughs> yeah. it's like, creates this, oh my God. Um, uh, I, you know, and I feel that energy a lot of times I, when I'm reading marketing books or different kinds of business books, I, this, there's this frenetic, oh my God, I'm not okay energy that I feel in myself, um, that I have to kind of sink below. But the other way to do this is to say, wow, um, our hearts are so yearning to be seen and to be known. And, this is an essential need in us is to be witnessed and that when we're struggling with something, if we can be witnessed, not as broken, but just as whole and say, yeah, I see. I see that you're sick. I see that you're struggling. I see that things aren't quite working for you. You know, we've been helping a lot of um, holistic practitioners who want to speak to um Ideals or inspirational language. It's like, no, you got to come back and meet people where they are. It's like, oh, I see how painful it is to be struggling with a chronic illness for years and to feel like there's no solution, to feel really exhausted. And I want you to know that I see you like that. And it doesn't mean that you're broken inside. 
And what this does is it, people can exhale. People can feel seen. It creates, it opens up a listening space. It creates trust. It creates love. Not from a place of re-traumatizing, but from a place of that, that listening space, that connection. And so it's the same principle, name the problem, that you can't ignore because it is really important, but the intention that you bring to it is entirely different and it allows people to slow down and then to then help them look back at their own heart and say, hey, if what I'm offering really resonates with you, if there's already a connection here, then please you can step into it and I'm happy to help you. And really trusting your clients to be adults, to be able to make that decision once they've been able to slow down and check in with themselves. So this is the kind of distinction that I like to make in different business practices and how we can start to make things more healthy um, and more from a place of loving um, and a place of connection rather than that traumatized place. Yeah, what I, what I love about it is it's it's – you know, kind of the thesis, synthesis, thesis, antithesis, synthesis thing is where we see so much um, of people just revolting against, you know, we know from the marketing perspective, like heaping on the pain or making desperate buyers, right? Which is sometimes the advice that people are giving, you know, on the marketing side, like you got to really make them feel terrible and then they'll buy, right? Well, some people get really revulsed by that and it turned off. And then they don't mention any of the pains people are going through. <laughs> Right. And so then they don't actually see the person. So we have to integrate it in a way that exactly as you said, like we mentioned that here's what's going on. I see that, but I'm not going to dig the needle in. I'm not going to like poke it and make it around. That's unnecessary. You know the pain that you're going through. Right. Exactly. Um, Here's some solutions and like if this fits so on and so forth. So that kind of dovetails to a question I want to ask, because a lot of the work that I've seen you do is really around talking about what you do marketing and sales right um, I think is a, a lot of what I've seen from you or maybe it's just the you know the frame that I see um, is that true that you you spend a lot of time especially on this core areas and why do you think that those are so important for um, your particular audiences yeah well that's um, when you're when you're self-employed or when you in a, when you're in a micro business um, a lot of times people are totally in love in, with what they do and so what they but what they're lacking is how to connect with their clients and how to have the money come in and so marketing and sales are such a uh, a missing piece and even for people that are very experienced in marketing we've had people who come to, you know people come to us that don't know anything about marketing and sales and just like oh my god I need to figure this out but we also come to people have come to us who are like they're you know in the previous organization they were in it was there. They were like the top salesperson, but now that it's about something that they really care about, they can't do it the way they used to do it, and they need something that's more nourishing, an approach that's more nourishing. And so that is a lot of what we do. However, one of the things that I feel is really important that I like to bring to our clients is the stages of business development. And um, and there's four different stages: three that are necessary, and a fourth that's optional and when people understand where they are in their business development then they know where to focus and in the beginning you know in the earlier stages when you're not making enough money yet there needs to be a lot of focus on marketing and sales and just getting clients in the door and getting cash flow happening and then we start to bring in ideas uh, you know approach to okay how do you bring systems and you know what are business models um, how do you hire a team if you're going to go that far or even how do you just get a little bit of support um, I you know there's a lot of other pieces that come in on the back end that aren't as sexy and so you know it's sexy <laughs> yeah. they do. and when by sexy I mean they don't 
they're not to people that are unfamiliar with business they're not identifiable as the problem um, and so that gets often introduced to our clients later once they're within our system once they're learning from us and they go oh yeah that does make sense oh, okay yeah I can see that but it's true that a lot of the ways that we meet the world is around just the need to connect with people who really need your services yeah um, if you don't have customers and you don't have the revenue coming in it's going to be hard to come up with the other good business challenges that come later <laughs> in the business life cycle. And so to be to be clear here, um, Mark isn't necessarily referencing the stages of business using the sort of the model from the book that I wrote. But, you know, we, we in in business, you kind of know how business, how, you know, the different stages of business growth. And the challenge is knowing where you are and working on the right things at the right time. And, exactly. Um, those sexy things like you know, people don't no founder that I know wakes up in the morning. It's like, I'm really excited to write this operations manual today. Like that's that's what I was really looking forward to doing. Um, or I'm really looking forward to actually figuring out how we're going to do employee reviews, right? That's what I wanted to do today. However, at a certain stage of business, that becomes critical because that's how you can grow and scale and, you know, replicate your business. Um, and so at a certain point, there's a maturity where you have to sort of be like, okay, there's this is what my business needs for me right now so I can get what I need from my business. Right. Um, and in an earlier stage on marketing, especially if you don't like marketing and sales, just kind of understanding that that's what your business needs for you, <laughs> needs from you, so your business can give you what it needs or what you need. So there's this relationship that happens there. Exactly. Um, so I'm curious, what are you really excited about in your business right now and, wh and where is it going? You know, one of the things that I'm super excited about is um, – I guess there's two things there. One is like our team has really crystallized. We're we're in the process of hiring right now in this month of October and um, what feels like the final team member um, for some time. Uh, but the, with that and with our new business model kind of crystallizing, it feels like, oh, yeah, now we're – there's like a different level of traction that we're engaged in. But um, – and so that's internally what I'm excited about. What I'm excited about externally is – We've made this shift over the last months, over the last really six months or so, from a launch-based model where we're, you know, oh, this, this program's starting at this date, sign up now, to an evergreen model where most of our programs are available when people need them, you know? Are, do you need them now? Yeah, you can sign up and start, you know, the beginning of next month. Um, do you need them in a couple months? You know, it's like you don't have to go on our timeline. You can go on your own timeline. And what this means is, is that I feel like we're having a much more intimate relationship, kind of refinding the intimacy that I had at the very beginning of the business um, by starting to really meet people where they are and letting it be on their timeline. I, I just, I feel like um, business training <clears throat> is so patchwork for people in micro businesses. You know, people don't get MBAs because the MBA isn't really appropriate. <laughs> it doesn't really teach you what you need to know. And uh, so many people learn little bits and pieces of business. And we put together this academy, this, you know, this like A to Z, P, you know, for, um, for micro businesses. And we've figured out how to offer it on an evergreen basis so people can step into it when they want. And my passion has to do with 
us being an educational business, really being into education, being into instructional design, being into like learning how do people learn and integrate and implement and really make it their own and go through that process of really seeing the changes happen. And, um, and so I'm excited about it. I, you know, the, the way I've, you've heard me use this analogy before, Charlie, but the way I've always described part of business is that it started out as this, you know, very small kind of beach cottage. And then I'd say, oh, yeah, wow, uh, people need this. Oh, wow, people need this. And that's right, build an addition here and build an addition there and build an addition there. And then just like this crazy kind of like <laughs> beach cottage. It didn't really make sense. People were kind of confused. What do I start with? And we've just taken all of all of that, what we've learned over, you know, a decade and a half almost of working with entrepreneurs and micro business owners and put it into something that really makes sense and leads people through step by step by step um, and can deliver it on their own timeline and just excited about people getting the support they really need um, in a timeline that makes that that's really really makes sense. I mean, one, one of the things that I really like to plant a flag around is that building a business, it's like if you want to build a business, a, psych, a micro business and be self-employed and, and earn, bring in 50, 70, 80, 90,000 in US dollars, you know, translated in whatever currency you work in a year over and over and over again so that you can pay your taxes and you can pay yourself and you can support your family and you can, you know, it's like the, the amount of money you need to bring in is much higher than you would on a salary because your taxes aren't covered and your expenses aren't covered and yada, yada, yada. And it's not rocket science, but it's not paint by number. And it just requires, it's not a, it's not a weekend workshop. It's not a single book. It's not a six week course. It's giving yourself the 18 months to three years to really build that. And I'm, I'm excited to be able to offer that right in a in a way that I think is really making a difference for people and to be a part of a huge number of colleagues like yourself who are making such a big difference in offering this kind of training because it just hasn't been available really uh, in that kind of a comprehensive format that I've seen. Yeah, I think a lot of the challenge, and this is just with the maturity of online businesses, is that so much of the material goes for the aspirational market. You know, all the people who are thinking about starting a business, and it's like, you know, how to start a business, how to start a blog, all those types of things. And, you know, there's a huge market there. Um, and I'm not going to go, you know, Mark, you and I have had conversations around this, but I think there's a certain point in which you have to say, you know what, the needs of people in an aspiration market, they need to be served, and they are being served pretty well, right, all things considered. But it's these later stages that aren't really getting the support that's needed. And, you know, there's no template once you reach that stage and, and things like that. So that's that's where, you know, if you're if you're getting out of those earlier stages of business and you're just not finding things that work for you, understand that it's not you. It's just that you're at a different stage of development and you need to find perhaps alternative sources of instruction and mentorship and, you know, learning. So to help you on the journey where you are now. I wanted to pull out a point, though, and this is for people who have been listening along, because you mentioned sort of the organic growth of heart of business, and you know, you kind of this, people need this, and you'll tack it on. People need this. That's a common trend. So if you're, if you know, I wanted to pull that up for people listening along, because almost everybody else has been. I was like, you know, like it just kind of happened. And so what I want to remind people is, you don't have to push back against the way that organic businesses grow or businesses grow organically, but just understand at a certain point, you might need to pause and. 
can, maybe put a skeleton on that amoeba instead of opposed to <laughs> just letting it grow and, and do whatever. It, like, there's nothing wrong with, like, giving it some structure so that it can actually flourish, just like we might prune a, prune a rose bush, right? It's going to grow organically, but if we, at a certain point, prune it, it's going to be so much of a more functional and beautiful plant. So, yeah, just wanted to yeah. pull that out. I'm glad you highlighted it. It's such a it's such a critical piece. One of the things that I was really struck by is reading about successful businesses is that usually successful businesses, the vast majority of successful businesses change, have to change their business model three, four times in, during their evolution because it uh, – and by business model, for those who aren't familiar with that term, I merely mean the the structure of your products and services and how money comes into your business. And so, you know, in the very beginning, for instance, for a self-employed practitioner, it might you might just be doing one-on-one sessions and that might evolve to um, – you know, to uh, packages and might evolve to include classes and then products and then, but you still need to think about how do those fit together and who, who, what, where, what percentage, you know, what, where do you, where's your sweet spot? Anyway, there's a lot of pieces that go into that. And so you need to, as you grow and develop, there does need to be rethinking that. I'm, I've been doing that with a number of the people uh, that I'm working with individually now. Uh, they all seem to be in a similar stage around like really rethinking their business model so that they can be sustainable at a much higher level of income than they've been before. And um, yeah, just to, just to highlight what you highlighted. Yes, yeah. Um, you know, we're on a about a three-year d- disruption cycle, in, especially in online business, because every three years, you know, when you look at the past framework, political, economic, social, um, sociological, or um, technological, like, there's something significant that changes about that amount of time. And so if you haven't gone back and gone back and reevaluated some things, it's probably due because, I mean, we can say something simple like social media marketing has changed a lot since 2010 or 11 when it, when it was in a heyday and three years before that. Like, I remember when we were talking and we were still trying to figure out what Twitter and Facebook and things like that were, right? And so mm-hmm. even just things like as minor as that, create big changes in your business model and how your business works. And so just that alone, if you're growing an organic business, you're going to have these things that pop up. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, just it's, you know, there's a concept here, and I think I might have said this on another podcast, where I get so frustrated when I see people talk about future-proofing your business. Because I'm like, mm, you can't really future-proof your business. You can future-ready your business, but you can't mm-hmm. future-proof it. Um, and so I know that's a minor distinction, but things are going to happen. You're going to change. Your business is going to change. Some of your customers might change. The best way to future-proof the best way to future-proof your business is to shut it down. <laughs> exactly. Um, that's not the only way you're going to do it. Um, yeah. So, but the, and 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 that said, I do. If I can just add on one mm-hmm. piece to what you were just saying. Uh, I don't want people to get the idea that you have to reinvent your business every three years. What I, one of the things that I really take a stand for in how we teach, and I know you do the same thing, Charlie, is that there are core principles to how human beings relate to each other that have not changed for millennia. And they can get obscured by the glitz of the latest new thing, whether it's social media or what have you. Uh, but the truth is that if you look underneath, there's there are core principles that operate there. And so when we've been rethinking our business model, it just means going back to the core principles and saying, are we aligned with with these core principles? Are we listening to how things are actually functioning? And how are we applying those core principles to what's happening in the world around us? So it's it's not about just 
reinventing totally from scratch. It's about coming back to the fundamentals again and again and again and not – every time I've strayed from the fundamentals um, is when I've gotten into trouble. Exactly. Yeah. Um, to So that we don't get into a strategy versus tactics conversation, the way I like to say it is, do our current methods match our principles? Mm-hmm. And are they effective in, in meeting meeting the marketplace? And if they're not effective in meeting the marketplace, you might need to change the method. You don't necessarily need to change the principles. Now, what mm-hmm. I'll say is sometimes you start with principles. Maybe it's the virtue versus money myth that mm-hmm. as your business grows, you do need to go back and say, you know what? The, the way we think about value has been based upon some type of scarcity thinking around around that, and that's constraining our business. So there are times in which you actually have to go back and re-examine some of those principles because they were based upon um, connotations or assumptions or just self-limiting beliefs that, that need to be sort of rooted out. And that can, yes. take, that can take a while. But I think we're in agreement in the sense of saying, like, there's this from philosophy it's called reciprocal or excuse me reflective equilibrium in that you you look out in the world and you say that's what's going on and then you look at the way that you see the world your worldview and you say do these match and there's this shake out of like well the world is true in certain ways the world is false in certain ways my worldview is true in certain ways it's false in certain ways and you go back and make it work and i know that's right. very very broad but um that, that's the challenge sometimes is that it's always going back and you, whether you're doing a quarterly or semi-annual or annual review, it's just going back and saying what's true of the world, what's true of our business, what what's the way to get these in, in balance or in, in alignment so that um, we're still able to serve who we need to serve in the most effective way um, to, to get the job done, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so that was a little mini riff there. I didn't mean to go there, but um, <laughs> let's, let's, let's flip it this way. So Right. What's the most unanticipated challenge that you're facing right now? (sighs) The most unanticipated challenge. Well, that was the silence of me thinking. Um, I think there are some team dynamics that I didn't anticipate. And just out of honor for every, you know, out of respecting everybody, I don't want to get into the details of those, although I'm sure they'd be juicy. I'm probably right about them a year hence once we've walked through those. Um, and so there's some team dynamics that I, um, that I wasn't anticipating. Um, and um, I think that for where we are in our cycle, I think that as much as I, and I was just saying it before, as much as I've beaten the drum for how long things take and things take always longer than I expect, there are ways that I wasn't really expecting certain transitions to take as long as they have, (laughs) you know? Um, uh, I don't think of myself as a visionary person because, you know, I was a paramedic. I'm very practical. You know, I don't dream off into the future. I don't have a five-year plan. I don't I, you know, I don't do that. But one of the things that I do have in common with visionaries uh, is that I tend to vastly underestimate how much time something takes. And some of that's based on me doing what's most familiar with me and think not counting in the details that aren't included. And some of that is not anticipating what it takes for a team to really be coordinated around it because a team can move very far you know it's like that old saying if you want to go quickly go by yourself if you want to go far go with the team and I love my team and I'm so grateful for it and um uh and to be at the to be doing what we're doing is taking longer than I anticipated and 
it's beautiful and it's perfect. And, um, and there have been moments I've been going, really, really? Yeah. Okay. Fine. <laughs> I guess that's what we're up to. Everybody's doing their, doing their, doing the, um, you know, doing their, doing their absolute best and putting their heart into it. And, um, and this is how far, we're, how fast we're moving. And you know what? It's the perfect, it's the perfect pace. The divine must want us at this particular pace because ain't nothing changing about it. So, so yeah, I think that that's been really unanticipated by me. And, um, and that said, I feel really good about where we are, you know, having realized that. Yeah, you just commented on there's this weird sort of way in which you have to get reflective at a certain stage in entrepreneurship and, and small business in the sense that you are like looking at your own internal feelings about things like that impatience that comes up and that like you want it done yesterday and sometimes that disappointment that it's taking so long. So that's that's real and that's true in a lot of ways. But there's also this other perspective of when you take back and you say, you know what, this is just where we are right now. This is how long it takes. And both are true at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, if you don't really honor both, you end up, um, if you don't honor the emotions, you'll end up getting demotivated and things like that and kind of checking out. Um, but if you don't monitor the other picture, then you'll get stressed out and, you know, um, overworked and you'll drive your team crazy. Not that I know anything about that. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Yeah. So um, let's go ahead and wrap it up. If people remember nothing else about you and your work, what's the one thing you want them to take away? I want them to take away a sense of real... Um, compassion and gentleness with themselves on the journey because I think gentleness is one of the most missing and most important qualities in building a business Um, there's so much energy out there and teachings out there it's like gotta be alpha gotta push gotta go gotta and really so much of it uh, there's a subtlety to it and it takes a gentleness to really notice the subtleties and to be present for the miracles and to notice what's true in your own heart and um, the question uh, is love available even here? Uh, I think has been one of the easiest, one of the most uh, consistent ways I have known to bring in gentleness and to bring in awareness uh, in those stuck places. So I just, um, yeah, I just want people to be gentle with themselves because um, I know if you're listening to this, you don't lack in stick You don't lack in terms of pushing. You don't lack in terms of wanting and desire to get it done. No matter how many times you call yourself lazy and call yourself as bad and call yourself, you know, like you're not good enough. Like all of those are just voices. I, every time I've, I've worked with tens of, I've seen tens of thousands of entrepreneurs come through and every single one of them without exception, seriously, seriously is there for the work. And what you're needing more than anything is the gentleness so that you know that you're in this for the long term and you're not going to burn yourself out. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. I have nothing to add. Um, where can we, or where would you like us to go to find out more about you? I would like you to come to big party. No, I wish it'd be great to have a great big party. Um, we need to throw a big party, Mark. Like, like I know we need to plan a big party. It'd be awesome. Um, uh, um, heartofbusiness.com. Heartofbusiness.com. I really want to encourage people to um, get our workbook, Getting to the Core of Your Business, because it teaches a core spiritual practice, and to get that 
to get that workbook and to just check out all the free resources if what I've been saying resonates at all. We just try to give away as much as possible for free as I know you do, Charlie, because, um, you know, uh, all the many people doing what they're doing, um, I just wanted to, if it really resonates with you, I want you to want you to have access to it. So okay. yeah, heartofbusiness.com. Yeah, and those will be in show notes as well, so you can learn more about Mark and his work in, in the show notes. But I wanted to, you know, get him to say where we wanted to, wanted to go because sometimes I get it wrong as the host. So Mark, <laughs> thanks so much for for the time today. And again, I really appreciate um, the work you do and the relationship that we have. And, and thanks for sharing that with the creative giants listening to the show. I'm so delighted to have been here. Thank you so much, Charlie. Thanks for listening to The Creative Giant Show. To find more tools and inspiration for creative giants, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. Stand tall, creative giant.